I need a minute. <laughs> Just, uh, well, that, uh, when we were just singing, just wrecked me, so I apologize. All the earth, all the earth will shout his praise. Everyone. Those who can't speak will speak his name clearly. Those who can't hear will hear the praises being sung out. Those who struggle mentally to think clearly will know who he is. Those in bondage to addiction will be free from their chains. Those who can't walk will leap for joy. All the earth will shout his praise. We'll all have our eyes fixed on one man who made all of that possible, Jesus. Praise the Lord. Whew. All the earth will shout his praise. Please turn with me in your Bibles one last time to the Lord's Prayer, which is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. And uh, as we're spending our um, final week thinking about this just incredible prayer, I'd love for us to stand and recite it uh, together again. So please uh, stand to your feet and let's pray this prayer together. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is our third week in this passage looking at what Jesus has to say about prayer. I was planning on spending one week on prayer, and uh, then there was just so much in it. Uh, we had to go to a second week, and then there was so much in it, we had to go to a third week. And I was this close to not making it past give us our daily bread this week, uh, but I, you know, just for all of our sake, I thought we'd just push through, and so we're going to finish the prayer, Lord willing, uh, this morning. The first week we saw how not to pray. Right? We saw we're not supposed to pray to just manipulate people about for them to think you know, different positive things about us, and we shouldn't pray just to manipulate God uh, into giving us what we want. And then starting last week, we looked at, we called them Jesus' private lessons on prayer, right? We said Jesus is uh, probably the greatest prayer that ever was, and he tells us exactly how to pray, and so we should take uh, notice and look at every single word that he told us uh, to pray. You saw this twofold structure in this prayer, which we just prayed. We should begin our prayers recognizing who God is and asking for his will to be done. And then we move on to prayer about ourselves 
and our neighbor. And so this morning, we're covering that second half of the prayer, praying about ourselves and our neighbors and how we relate to one another. And then we're going to end with one last time of prayer like we have the last couple weeks. The way we started this whole series was admitting the pretty simple fact that prayer is hard. Like, let's just be real about that. I think all of us, in some way, struggle with prayer. In the age that we live in, with a million distractions every minute, it's really hard to just quiet your heart and your mind before the Lord and to truly pray. I don't think it's just me that struggles with that. And yet, when we think about what prayer is, we start to realize that we actually can't afford not to pray, can we? Prayer is an audience with the God of the universe, who is also your heavenly Father, who loves you and already knows what you need before you ask Him, and we can go before Him and just present our hearts to the Lord. It's literally unbelievable when you think about it. And so in this series, I'm not trying to like guilt us all into praying more. What I want this time in the Lord's Prayer to do is to invite us to see what an awesome privilege it is to go before the throne of God and then to be equipped to know how Jesus wants us to pray. And to that end, you should have each received a bookmark on your way in. If you didn't get a bookmark, you can get one on the way out. I know bookmark's kind of old-fashioned, but uh, it's it's something that you can stick in your Bible, and it goes through each line of the Lord's Prayer, and then under each line, I've just kind of written out a couple sentences of how we're thinking about those lines. And so I want you to be able to use that bookmark as a resource to help guide and direct your prayers. And like I said, we're going to put that into practice at the end of the sermon this morning, but I hope that this will be a practice for you in the future, especially if you really struggle with your mind going a million places uh, when you, is the moment that you sit down and try to pray, and so we can pray through each line and think about what does it mean, again, that God is our Father in heaven, what does it mean uh, that his name be made holy, and so on and so forth. So that's the hope, that's the goal, and this morning we're going to talk about uh, what it means to pray in relation to ourselves and to our neighbor. And it's interesting in this prayer, I don't know if you notice it, but we just ended with this line last week, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we talked about, we went through kind of the, the whole story of scripture and how God's presence was in the garden and then it was in the tabernacle and then it was in the temple and then it was on Christ, right? And then through the resurrection, he sent the Holy Spirit. And so his presence actually rests with you. And it's amazing to think about, right? That you are in essence the embodiment of the temple on earth and we're supposed to pray in accordance with God's grand plan for the universe that heaven and earth would be united in him and thinking about what does that mean for us and how do we play a role in that and when Jesus comes back and completes all these things and then the very next line is give us this day our daily bread. It's just interesting like juxtaposition isn't it? Think about the grand plan of the universe and then we pray and a little bread every day would be nice, Jesus. Right? It's like, woof, we've just like gone from high to low. Thinking about what does it mean to have our daily bread. Why does Jesus tell us then in this next line of the Lord's Prayer, give us our daily bread? Well, we've got to think about that phrase, daily bread. 
Why didn't he just say, give us what we need every day? Why the specifically daily bread? Well, I have a question. Can you think of, and this is especially for uh, you late, where are the ladies who are in Monday night Bible study, raise your hand. Hi, this is a good question for you. Can you think of a time in the Old Testament where bread was something of a daily occurrence? When was that? Manna, very good. She's teaching the Exodus Bible study, so that's kind of cheating, but that's okay. Good job, Stacy. Manna, right? What was manna? If you're not familiar with the story, God has at this point in Israel's history just miraculously saved them by separating the water of the Red Sea and allowing Israel to walk across on dry land to escape from slavery in Egypt. And then in Exodus chapter 15, we see this beautiful song. If you never studied Exodus 15, it's this incredible song celebrating God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt, and then you can't even get to Exodus 16. It's still the end of Exodus 15. And what does Israel start doing? Go grumbling, right? Complaining. They're hungry, hangry, to put it in today's terms, right? And so Exodus 16, they really start complaining about how they're hungry, and they actually say, right after they've just sung this song, praising Yahweh, they actually say it would have been better for us to just stay in Egypt. Unbelievable. So what does God do? Well, he provides them with something called manna. Manna, if you've read it, go back and read it. It's like this weird, like, wafer-like substance that would show up when the dew went away every morning. It was like supernaturally provided for them. And uh, it, was, it was so strange. The word manna is literally the Hebrew for like, what is it? So like they're literally, like they, they, they called it, what is it? Like, so did you go and gather your what is it this morning? Like it was just this like strange stuff, but God provided it for them. How often? Every single day, except for what day did, did the manna not come from heaven? The Sabbath. So this is another amazing thing that God did to provide. You see, if they gathered more than they needed for a certain day, it would rot. Right? It had this weird, I don't know, chemical property that God gave it of some sort that it wouldn't last more than a day. Except God would freeze that process on Friday and they gathered enough for both Friday and Saturday, so that they wouldn't have to work on Saturday gathering the manna on the Sabbath because he commanded them to uh, rest on the Sabbath. It's crazy stuff. It's a crazy story. It's a really cool way that God provides for Israel. So when Jesus tells his disciples, give us our daily bread, there's, he didn't even have to, he, he didn't say, and you notice in the text, it doesn't say give us our daily bread like you did the manna in the wilderness because they would have just, that would have immediately been their first thought. Daily bread was manna in the wilderness. And that's what he's calling them to think about when we pray, give us our daily bread. So why do we pray that? I think there's, well, there's a bunch of reasons, but I had to eliminate a couple of them for time. Here's three reasons, I think, why we're called to pray for daily bread. First of all, first of all, excuse me, it reminds us of God's design for work. It reminds us of God's design for work. You remember in the garden, God created Adam and Eve to do what? To rule the earth with God, be his kind of co-rulers on earth, and to work the ground. You see, work is good before the fall. We forget this sometimes. 
The fall didn't introduce the concept of work. It just made work a lot harder. And so in Israel, after the Exodus, the rhythm of these households was to go out and do work to gather their food every day. It should go without saying, but the prayer for daily bread isn't a prayer for God to provide so that I don't have to work, right? God set it up from the very beginning that mankind would be an image of God by working six days a week except for the Sabbath. And we need to remember that. No matter what your work is, you work a blue-collar job or a white-collar job or work means staying at home, what God created us to work. And you kind of, maybe you haven't thought about it like this, but you've kind of felt this tension before, right? Probably most of you have had a day at work, whatever your work entails, where you just, you know, at the end of that day, you're like, I killed it today. I did amazing. Today was a great day of work. And I, you almost can feel this sense of like, this is what God created me to do. And if every day was like that day, I'm happy forever, right? And then you've probably had other days. Now, no one who reports to me has ever had a day like this, but you've probably had other days where work was a drudgery at 8 a.m. all the way through 5 or whenever it was time to clock out and go home, right? This is just awful. And on those days, what does that cause us to do? It reminds us of the fall. So the good days of work remind us that God made us this way. And the hard days of work remind us that we made it harder by introducing sin into the world. But one day, Jesus is going to come back. And while we'll still have work to do, it's not going to be fighting with the earth like we are now, if that makes sense. But a prayer for daily bread, first of all, just reminds us of God's good design for work. But then the second thing that praying for daily bread does is reminds us of God's design for rest. Reminds us of God's design for rest. The Sabbath was a big deal. If you're in the Exodus study, you've read that, or you're about to, that breaking the Sabbath was a death penalty in Israel. Whoa, that's a big deal. And that's for another sermon why that was the case. But it shows us at least that that was a really big deal. The Sabbath was God's command for Israel to rest every seventh day. And if God's command to work reminds us of how he created us with responsibility to rule and reign over creation, God's command to rest reminds us of what? God's ultimate sovereignty. In other words, it's really easy to get confused in your work when you're working hard for something to remember who's really the one providing, isn't it? Just because I broke my back to get those seeds in the ground, if God didn't send the rain, they wouldn't grow. You see what I'm saying? You can work as hard as you want, but it's ultimately God's provision. And so the Sabbath is, among other things, a reminder to us that God is the one providing as much as we like to think when we see the fruit of our hands that it's all us. And this is a good thing, right? This is a blessing. It is a blessing to be able to rest from your work and trust that God is still going to provide, just like they rested from gathering manna on the seventh day and yet trusted that God was still going to give them their daily bread. You see, the daily bread didn't stop, even though their work did. 
I was just talking to a couple this week who shared with me they, they made a, a change in their family that was really like scary financially, but it was going to allow for a more Sabbath rest type existence for their family. And they said that they have been aware of God's provision for them in this phase like they never had before. And they've seen God provide abundantly in ways that he never had before. Isn't that cool? Because that's what God does. Sometimes we get so caught up in our work that we think it's us providing, but it is God who provides. So the second reason, the second thing that comes to mind when we pray for our daily bread is that God calls us to rest. And then here's the third thing, and this is truly the most convicting for me, uh, is that praying for daily bread reminds us of how God provides. Reminds us of how God provides. If I'm honest, I don't want to pray only for my daily bread, right? Jesus doesn't say to pray for your daily bread and then your weekly bread and your monthly bread and your yearly bread and your retirement bread, right? He says, give us this day our daily bread, and I battle with that. I want to pray, God, give me what I need now so that I can feel safe and secure for the foreseeable future. And relate to that. God, make it so there's nothing on the horizon that is unknown. What am I praying? What am I thinking when I want to pray that way? I'm actually saying, God, give me what I need so that I don't need to rely on you anymore. God, I want to be in control. So what happens when you force yourself to pray, God, I'm thinking about this day. Give me what I need today, right now. What does that do? That's what I've been trying to pray. First of all, what's happened in my heart is my thankfulness has increased like a thousand percent. Because what I've started to realize is, oh, God has given me my daily bread. He has given me what I need for this day. And yeah, I have unknown things in the future, but right now in this moment, he's given me what I need. And I should be clear, I'm not talking only financially, although that's part of it, right? It's not just about resources. It's about God, give me what I need in this moment, in every area of my life. Equip me to do what you need me to do right now. Future is a future, and that'll come, and that'll be its own day to pray for daily bread. But give me what I need right now. A couple months ago, Emily and I experienced kind of like a financial hardship, you could say, and a financial blessing that completely took care of that hardship. But it happened in, and I would say hardship loosely, but it was a negative financial event that happened in a positive financial event that happened. That's a better way to say it. And, but it happened in reverse order. <laughs> So it did something weird in my spirit. The positive thing happened first, and then like I think a week later, the negative thing happened. And when the negative, and these things basically canceled each other out exactly, okay? I had the negative thing happen, and then the positive thing happened, I would, woo, praise the Lord, thank you. But the positive thing happened, and I already had some ideas for what that was going to be like. And then the negative thing happened, and I was crushed, I was in a terrible mood. I was just down when that negative thing happened. 
And then as God like, had to whack me over the head with a two-by-four, Mike, I almost said Pastor Mike. God doesn't refer to me as Pastor Mike, in case you're wondering. <laughs> Mike, don't you see I took care of this for you even before it happened? So you never even had to have one hour of worrying. Oh, give us this day our daily bread. And man, I just think, and I, I, my, it's probably true of many of us in this room, but for me, in my heart, I know that my worrying about the future makes me miss God's countless ways that he provides for me in the present. Oh, man. But when you start to really pray, give me what I need for this day right now in this moment. And you look around and you say, am I okay? I'm okay. Because God's given me what I needed right now. Oh, man. Don't get so caught up in wondering if your future bread is coming that you don't even thank God for the bread that he just put there. You know how long God provided manna in the wilderness? Exodus ladies, how long? 40 years. Good job, Stacy. She's right on it. You know how long they needed manna in the wilderness? 40 years. So every day that they needed it, he gave them what they needed. When I worry about the future, what I'm betraying is a lack of trust in God. Somehow he's taking care of me now, but he won't in the future. Give me this day my daily bread for what I need for right this moment. I trust, God, you're in charge of today, and I trust that you're in charge of the future days too. Help me rest on your provision in the future and recognize and be more thankful for the ways that you provide in the present. Give us our daily bread. All right. We got to move on. Like I said, we could talk about this the whole time. We got to keep going to just a very small uh, topic of forgiveness now. So not much to be said here. Just kidding. There's a lot. It's a heavy one this morning, but it's, man, I hope the Lord just encourages you through this text. Next line. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. This is massively challenging. And it almost makes you wonder if Jesus is saying that you won't be forgiven if you don't forgive others. Well, I don't know if you noticed the verse that was just on the screen. You can put that back up there. That's exactly what Jesus says. It's like he almost like needs to, like he's like, okay, I just talked about forgiveness I want to make sure you realize what I was saying. So he like circles back to this one topic at the end of the Lord's Prayer. It's really interesting. He says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Woo! What do we do with that? Got to talk about this. Why do we need to forgive others to be forgiven? Well, the answer lies simply in the gospel. See, every week, what do we do? We come together to sing about and celebrate the fact that all of our, our sins have been forgiven on the cross. Jesus paid it all, right? That Jesus made a way for each and every one of us to be reconciled to the Father no matter what you've done. 
right? That no person, no matter how egregious their sin, can find, that any person can find full and complete forgiveness in the cross. This is the gospel. You can be saved. And there is no man or woman or child on earth that can come to the cross and not find forgiveness for their sins. This is amazing. And if you're in Christ, you have experienced that burden being cut away from your shoulders. And it's been forgiven. This massive debt that you've racked against God with every sin that you've committed has been wiped clean. And so it makes no sense for you who have experienced that to look at somebody else who owes you way less than you owe God. You see what I'm saying? You owe God more than that person owes you, no matter how serious their sin is against you, okay? I'm not minimizing that. But it makes no sense for somebody who's been forgiven to say, I'm going to hold that against you for the rest of your life. I'm never going to forgive you. These are, these are Jesus' words, and they're hard words. He says, if you've been forgiven, you must be forgiving. And then he goes one step further. If you are unforgiving, it shows that you haven't been forgiven. Now, before we go further on this, I want to be really clear about what forgiveness isn't. Because I know in this room, even represented right now, there are people who have been sinned against in big ways. So we want to be, I want to be clear about what forgiveness isn't. There's three things forgiveness isn't. First of all, it's not pretending like nothing happened, right? Forgiveness doesn't mean that you pretend you weren't wronged. Let's go to an extreme example. If you're a victim of some sort of abuse, forgiveness doesn't mean you let that person back into your life. It's, it's not what we're talking about. It doesn't mean that you pretend that you weren't profoundly affected by that trauma that you endured. It doesn't mean that you just have to live your life like you pretend like it never happened or that person never hurt you. This is really important. Oftentimes, abusers will use forgiveness as a weapon to try to ingratiate themselves back into that person's life. That is not at all what we're talking about when we're talking about forgiveness. So it's not just pretending nothing happened. Secondly, it's not an easy process, right? It's not one prayer, boom, I've forgiven everyone who's ever hurt me. I spoke to someone a few weeks ago who said, I know I need to forgive this person who hurt me deeply and is still currently hurting me, but I just don't know how to do it. If you're there, you're like 90% of the way there, right? Say, I desire to forgive this person, but I just can't. Like there's just something, it's just in my soul. In some ways, forgiveness isn't something that you even can do on your own. Like, it's something that you need God's help for. I spoke to someone else recently who told me a year ago they were really struggling with unforgiveness of someone. And we had talked about that before. And then they circled back and they shared with me, like, I can't explain it, but God just helped me forgive them. And that's a work of God. And praise the Lord for that. But it's not an easy process. It might be a long process. It might take a lot of time on your needs asking, God, remove this burden from me. It might take professional counseling even to work through some of those issues. If that's where you're at, we would love to help you find that 
and work through those issues. It's not, an, it's not pretending like nothing happened, and it's not an easy process. And then finally, forgiveness isn't reconciliation necessarily. This is important too. Some of you might be thinking, I'd love to forgive this person, but they ain't sorry, right? They're not coming to me and apologizing. So what am I supposed to do? And if that's you, I would caution that you're confusing reconciliation with forgiveness. How many people does reconciliation take? Two. How many people does forgiveness take? One. It can be hard to forgive someone who isn't sorry for the ways that they've hurt you. Almost impossible. Apart from the gospel, let's just say it, it's impossible. So that's where we go to the gospel and we say, God, I don't want to be hanging on to this anymore. I know you've forgiven me of more sins than I even know that I've committed against you. I have no business being called a saint, God, and yet here we are. And I'm your child, I'm your son, I'm your daughter. And you've given me immeasurably more than I could ever ask or imagine. So Lord, just remove this from me. Help me, God. And it's not easy. It's not instantaneous. If it was easy, Jesus wouldn't tell you to pray for it. But if you've been forgiven, it's something that we need to be working towards. If you truly understand what's happened in the gospel. Finally, as we close, Jesus says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from The ESV says evil. I think a better translation is the evil one. Like I said, there's a lot of heavy stuff in here this morning. Of all the lines in the Lord's Prayer that you pray, and if you really think about what you're praying, this is probably the most confusing, isn't it? Why at the end of this prayer do I need to pray that God wouldn't lead me into temptation? Is that something God does often? Should I be worried about that? Owen, our son, is in the stage of development right now where his sense of humor, he thinks the funniest thing in the world is when somebody gets tricked. So does God have a six-year-old sense of humor? He just takes, you know, weird divine pleasure in, like, leading you into a place where you'll be tempted. And I need to pray and ask that God wouldn't lead me into temptation, right? Can we admit it's a little bit hard to understand what exactly this means? Why would Jesus close this prayer by asking that God wouldn't lead us into temptation? I struggled with this. There's actually two passages that have really helped me understand what I think Jesus is saying here. So let me ask you a question. In the whole Bible, this is a hard one. Can you think of any time where the Spirit of God led someone to be tempted? Yeah. Someone said Jesus. Literally just two chapters before this. Jesus is led to be tempted. Look at Matthew 4.1 on your screen. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted, but then this is important, by the devil. So he's not being tempted by the Spirit. So we just need to be clear right off the bat. God himself doesn't tempt anyone to sin. And yet, the Spirit led Jesus to a place where he would be tempted by the devil. You would certainly think, if you were the Holy Spirit, 
that you, your business would largely be leading people where the devil wasn't, right? And yet here's the Spirit leading Jesus to be tempted by the devil. Why? Well, there's another passage that helps us understand this. And that's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus is praying. So the first passage at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, the second passage at the end of Jesus' ministry. Listen to what Jesus prays right before he's going to go to the cross. Matthew 26, 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. I think we take these two verses together, it shows us what it means. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's like praying this, God, I don't want to go through any trials. (laughs) Tests are not fun. (laughs) Temptation is hard. God, if it's possible, spare me from having to endure these things. Or when you're in the midst of a trial or in the midst of a temptation. God, remove this from me. Yet, I will trust your will. So God, I don't want to walk through trials. But I trust if you do allow me to walk through a trial, you are going to be the one who delivers me from the evil one on the other side. I'm going to trust that your ways are better than mine. So we pray, lead us not into temptation. God, spare me from having to walk through these difficulties. But deliver us from the evil one when we're there. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, not my will, your be done. And that's a beautiful way to pray, I think. You don't have to feel guilty to pray that God wouldn't let you go through a trial. Jesus tells us to pray that. And yet, what it does is it recenters us on what the trial is. See, a trial isn't just something that went wrong in God's plan. Jesus says you can pray to avoid trials and temptation, but when they come, you have another way to pray, and it's deliver me from the evil one. Deliver me from this trial. And what we have when we take all these things together are an utter dependence on God from top to bottom, right? Give us this day our daily bread. That doesn't come from me. Israel didn't didn't have certain words that they prayed to make the manna come. It just came, right? So Lord, help me to recognize your provision for me every day and forgive us our debts. God, we have sinned against you and you would be right and just to make us suffer the consequences of those for eternity and yet you saw it good to send your son on the cross so that we might be forgiven. And so Lord, as a forgiven person, help me to forgive others and model you in the way you've forgiven us. Help me to forgive others. God, as I follow you, as I walk along, walk through life seeking after you, God, I know there are trials that come. I don't want to walk through trial, God, but when I do, help me to rely on you to deliver me and remember that you haven't forgotten me. But just like Jesus in the wilderness had an opportunity 
to represent God's deliverance. So I too, in this trial, have an opportunity to glorify you by seeking you to deliver me. That's how we're called to pray. And that's what we're going to do right now. So in your last few minutes, I'm going to give you about five minutes or so. Look at your bookmark. I just want you to spend some time with the Lord. Whatever the Lord leads you to do, whatever the Lord leads you to pray, just be obedient to him. We're going to spend some time seeking him and praying his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take some time and let's go before the Lord in prayer. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal." Then they said to him, What must we be do, do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Oh, Father, even as we think about this morning, Trusting you for our daily bread, for the things that we need. Oh, we need Jesus. Who, when he was with his disciples, broke bread and said, Take and eat, this is my body for you. So, Father, give us our daily bread. Give us more and more of Jesus who satisfies. Lord, if there's anyone in here who does not know and believe that Jesus is the bread of life, I pray that they would do the work of God today and believe in the one who was sent. And for those of us who have eaten of the bread, Lord, give us a greater hunger, not for the bread that doesn't satisfy, that's only temporary, Give us a greater hunger for the bread that is eternal. So that when we pray, we can pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, God, but deliver us from the evil one. We love you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand, and we're going to close by singing a new song. This song, maybe you've heard this song before. It's uh, about the Lord's Prayer. We thought it was an appropriate way to close. So let's sing together. <laughs>